Hi everyone and welcome to the Friday, June 4th installment of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. My name is Mike Malone and I'm here with our special contributor, Scott Budman of NBC Bay Area. Our producer is Jordan Henderson. Uh, our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove and our host is the Silicon Valley Business Journal. Okay. First of all, good morning. Good morning. Second, uh, I want to start, we have a whole bunch of little things, but I want to start with a big thing. I received a note from Rich Goldman, our semiconductor guru that, that writes to us all the time. He wrote me a long note that I thought was really interesting and quite concerning. So I'm going to read you a little bit of it, but we'll comment as we go along. He writes, as I'm sure you remember, I correctly called the end of the decades long semiconductor boom bust cycle. I don't recall anyone else joining me in that call. I am now regretfully calling the, re the return of the semiconductor boom-bust cycle. I do not know if anyone else is saying this either, but the semiconductor industry will experience its next bust in 25 and 2026. 20, and not to be alarmist, it will be of greater magnitude than any previous bust, and Intel will be the number one victim. Okay, that's pretty strong words, right? Um, Here's what he says. He said, what caused the boom-bust cycle all these 50 years in the past? He said it was uh, underinvestment in times of bust led to undercapacity and then a boom which followed it, which leads to overinvestment and excess capacity, which leads to a bust. And that's that vicious cycle the Valley got in. It was always in a reactive mode. Uh, he says it's exacerbated by the fact that semiconductor demand never abates. It just keeps growing and growing. So they just don't time it right. Well, here's what's happened. He says, the rise of foundries ended that boom-bust cycle because it could now absorb. It had enough capacity. It could handle these explosions of demand, but were still big enough. When it tapered off a little bit, they could, they could handle it. They, they weren't getting killed in the process. Uh, and so TSMC and a few others handled that very well over the years. Uh, but he says the problem now is that we have this great shortage going on. And he says the current, current semiconductor shortage is bad for many industries like automobiles, but could be ruinous for the semiconductor industry. While in the short term, average selling prices and profits increase for the industry, the shortages have alarmed countries around the globe who have come to mistake, mistaken conclusion they must produce their own semiconductors to secure their own supply. So we have countries all over the world. We've got China saying, we're going to spend a trillion dollars. We have uh, Korea, uh, South Korea building fabs. We have the U.S. We have the federal government throwing in, not very much, kind of piddling. But Europe is throwing in, the EU is throwing a bunch of money at it. So we have... TSMC announcing a hundred billion investment over the next three years, Intel $20 billion investment, Samsung continuing to invest, Biden's new budget $150 million for semiconductors, uh, and the EU plans to invest $100 billion, all of them within the next three to five years. What that's going to do is, and we, we're going to see other countries, individual countries starting to do this too, we're going to suddenly have a massive overcapacity in chips. And that's gonna have two effects. The positive one is chips are gonna be cheaper than ever. Uh, but the bad news is 
we're going to have so much overcapacity that it may take 10 years to absorb it all. Well, countries doing this, they can handle that loss. But individual companies like Intel, how are they going to handle that overinvestment, that overcapitalization of their fabs, endure that for three to five, maybe even 10 years till it all gets caught up. And he says, that's what's going to happen. We're going to have a absolute bust. When all these things come online, we have an absolute bust in the semiconductor industry. And the weakest of them are going to have trouble surviving. And the weakest of them right now is Intel. I mean, there's some logic to that, obviously, because yeah. you look at what's going on now, all these companies and countries were caught flat-footed and now there's a shortage. So how do they respond to a shortage? You know, you mentioned countries, even individual companies are now talking about, hey, we've got to build our own chips to yeah. catch up. So there, yeah, that makes sense that there would be a lot of chips being made over the next decade. Um, but again, these companies were caught off guard by the shortage. Uh, so we don't really know, can we trust them to catch up and come up with a good number or are they going to make too much? Or 10 years from now, when every car is autonomous <laughs> or whatever, are they still going to be short? I, I don't know that we can trust the companies because they were so far off their current targets on right. where we would. And they've always been off. That's right. that's part of the game of this town. The whole the whole boom bust cycle I've seen since what 68, 72, from my childhood. It's always been that they never get it right because it's hard to anticipate something that's you know we have new markets suddenly appearing. You know you've got to meet that demand. So Rich's conclusion is, in this new environment, the U.S. is investing way too little to remain a strong player, and Intel's investment of $20 billion simply looks puny. Given all the other issues Intel faces in this new environment, Intel cannot hope to remain a major semiconductor manufacturing player. Their best hope, and the U.S.'s, is to build on their strength and design. Semiconductor manufacturing is a nasty environmental undertaking anyway, and it might just as well, just as well to keep that ticking environmental disaster out of this country. I agree. It seems like there's been a lot of manufacturing that's moved overseas anyway. Yeah. And it seems like that's the trend. And you also you bring up markets that we didn't know about. Um, you know, Intel struggled for a couple of years now, and it doesn't look like they're going to see the light at the end of the but tunnel. But we were cheering. Oh, they're going to build new fabs. They're going back in manufacturing. It may be the absolutely worst direction for them to go. Right, and there will be environmental pressures, but you also mentioned those markets that we don't know. Obviously, these companies were caught flat-footed by all the autonomous cars. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look at you know a success story, NVIDIA. Uh, they made, what, more than $100 million in the quarter in Bitcoin mining right. for its chips. Who knows if that's going to be around or higher or lower or whatever. Absolutely but that's true. a company that can pivot, and so they are not caught flat-footed. In fact, their stock's never been higher. Their employee count has never been higher. They've never been more relevant and important. None of those things apply to Intel right now. They're on the opposite side of the flexibility, you know, and ability to move on a dime spectrum, and they need to change that. Now, Goldman adds one more factor, which is never underestimate the ability of nations on a new technology initiative to screw it all up. <laughs> yes. You know, so Europe, yeah, we're going to invest $100 billion in the, in the fab. We'll see. We'll see if it works. It might be to our, it might be to everybody's benefit if they actually fall on their face doing this. We'll see. But one thing for sure, chips are going to be cheap. Right. They're getting cheaper, and they're getting even more 
uh, relevant. They're everywhere now. They're everywhere. Um, even though, and as a tech reporter, they are undercovered. We, we take them for granted now. Right. And maybe the way they're made is going to change a little bit to reflect some of this uh, because people just want their chips cranked out and they want their, you know, they're currently worried about the environment. That's not going to change in the next decade. And so maybe some of these fabs will change their ways. Uh, but the companies are certainly going to have to adjust to being the maker of a commodity. Chips are a commodity now. Yeah. So go the go the IBM route. Become a designer. You know, get out of the get out of manufacturing. Yeah. Or you know, you saw the specialty chips. Nvidia sort of fits into yeah. that, but also Altera. You know, these are companies that either do well in the stock market or got bought by the bigger players because they can move faster. Let's see. We'll, we'll, we'll know soon enough. Right now, things are looking pretty okay in, in that, certainly in the chip industry. They sell them all they can make. Let's see what happens. Let's see if Rich is right. Okay. Amazon, Sidewalk. Boy, does this sound like the most pernicious thing you've heard this year so far. Only Amazon. Well, yeah, only Amazon could come up with this one, which is Sidewalk. Yeah, Sidewalk is essentially an initiative that Amazon has for neighbors to share a bit of their Wi-Fi with each other. And they... why wouldn't we? Because we're all warm to each other. This is a kumbaya moment. Yeah, and it's interesting because uh, let's explain what it is. So it's sort of a mesh net. Think of it, your Wi-Fi, not just for your own home, but leaking out. <laughs> I'll yeah. use that word, leaking out into the neighborhood. And so if your neighbor has a power outage with his or her ring doorbell or echo, uh, they could borrow some of your Wi-Fi to keep their device working and vice versa. Now, if you don't have any Amazon devices, let me just say, you're exempt. You don't have anything to worry about. Your yeah. Wi-Fi is not going to leak out to your neighbors. You're not going to be sharing with your neighbors. But this would be something that if you want, you share with your neighbors. If, you're, if you have a tile attached to your dog, one of those you know tags, yeah. and they wander out of your Wi-Fi space into a neighbor's Wi-Fi space, you can still track it. If your power goes down, you can still talk to your Alexa because you will share your neighbor's Wi-Fi. Here's what I have a big problem with. I mean, does, isn't that so warm and fuzzy? How could you say no to that? Yeah, there are a couple ways you could say no to <laughs> yeah. that. One, the history of Wi-Fi is littered with security problems. We're just not perfect. And Completely. how could we ever be, right? Yeah. Two, um, Amazon had made this an opt-out process, which drives me nuts when big companies do this, because the opt-out historically... Yeah, we're going to do it unless you order us to say right. not it's, do it. It's a small percentage of people who opt out, so I've been on this the stump trying to get people to opt out of this. They can opt in later. They can figure this out yeah. later. But it's automatic on June 8th. And a lot of people, you know, but we're recording this on June 4th. We're sending this out for a week. It's going to be June 8th real yeah. soon. How many people have actually heard any of these warnings? Right. Yeah. Um, and so you can opt out. There are instructions to opt out. It's like a four-step process. I've, I'm going to pin it on my Twitter page. It's my name, Scott Button. It's going to be pinned on the top there so people know this because it's not hard, but you have to do it. You have to go in there and do it, or you're going to be automatically sharing your Wi-Fi with your neighbors. And look, I like my neighbors. I trust them with all sorts of things, Right. but this is a bad idea, not because of my neighbors, but because the Wi-Fi is just getting spread a little further than it should, and that's a security risk. And it underscores again what we were told we were fearful of several years ago, which is these, these Devices from these giant companies are stocking horses. They're Trojan horses. They're giving us these things. Oh, look, you can talk. You can ask what the weather's going to be today and all of that. Oh, and then, by the way, it's just going to it's going to steal some of your bandwidth and share it with all of your neighbors. And anybody who walks by 
we'll be able to tap into it too. Right. Gee, and what could go wrong? Exactly. It's one of those things where I, I just don't think, well, I can't imagine Amazon is full of smart people that they didn't think this through, but there are things that could go wrong. And we're not just, you know, uh, saying this because, oh, we're, we're doomsayers. Wi-Fi has a history of being uh, Swiss cheese. It's yes. just not completely safe. And why would you do something to compromise the safety? It's interesting that this is called sidewalk, <laughs> but it affects living room. Yeah, it affects exactly. Bedroom. Bedroom. It's inside your house that the that I'm worried about. I'm not worried about your sidewalk. But they did kind of a Freudian slip because everybody walking by on the sidewalk, in theory, <laughs> can go into your life and invade your privacy. So I guess sidewalk is a good title. Yeah, you know, and <laughs> apropos of that, uh, Kim Commando just did a survey. Uh, and found 86 86% of participants no longer trust big tech companies. That's kind of a staggering number. 82.73% uh, say that they think smart speakers listen to what they say all of the time. Perfect. Nearly 60% fear their smartphones are spying on them. 84% have targeted believe targeted ads are based on browser history. Uh, we could go on and on. Um, let's see, 92% believe that big tech has too much influence on politics with, politics with Facebook and Twitter, uh, especially 67% of Facebook users would be willing to delete their account knowing that the social media platform tracks everything. Um, Sales data cannot control what is posted on the site. And 92% of people surveyed think Google knows too much information about their personal lives. This is this, this is pretty devastating set of numbers. I mean... Yeah, nothing in the country uh, has gotten those high numbers politically no, or anything. No, this is worse than you. <laughs> We've united salesman. the United States of America. <laughs> Unbelievable. But, you know... I've seen the transition over the years from people thinking this is the greatest thing in the world, you know, people eating up all my articles around the world. Oh, tell us about the next big thing, Mr. Malone, you know. It's all exciting. We're going into a glorious future to this. Hey, maybe Mark Zuckerberg should run for president. He's figured out how to bring everybody together. He has. He has. And, uh, you know, this is kind of breathtaking. Can you maintain these kinds of numbers and still enjoy the trust of the world. No, I don't think you are enjoying the trust of the world. And those numbers show it, but we knew before those numbers came out. Uh, that is the problem of big tech. And it shows also a lesson that we should be teaching our children about, say, stock market investment. You know, profits are one thing and trust is a complete, a completely yes. different thing. Because people will say, wow, Facebook is doing so well. Well, look at that. Well, yes, because it makes money. And here's how. It makes money by doing things that people don't trust. And I don't know how long that can last, but the fact is these are the new sort of targets for political hate. And they are hated by both sides of the aisle. It's almost impressive how both sides have come out against these social networks when they can't agree even on right. you know, they healthcare. They have a common enemy now. I right, mean, right. But they can't talk too loud because they're getting large checks from those companies too, you know? I mean, you know, if you are uh, Menlo Park, or if you're San Francisco, or if you're Santa Clara, or in the case of Netflix, if you're Los Gatos, those are the biggest taxpayers that you have. So yeah, you don't want to talk too loud. It's a it's a 
fine line and a big problem for society right now. Yeah, and you know, I would mark the turn to when tech got into consumer. You know, before that, when it was commercial, it was industrial, there were feedback loops, companies say, oh, I'm not gonna buy this, you know, that sort of thing. Now, it's so perverse, pervasive, and it's so controlling, manipulative, that uh, once they went down that road, there's no coming back. And someday somebody's gonna tell the history of who made those key decisions that got us into this predicament right now. I mean, we are roundly hated around the world, actively hated, which is stunning in one lifetime. You know, I've seen from great love and optimism, this is the a mankind's you know next great hope to this is the most evil, you know, satanic thing that has ever been created. Well, I mean, it's people, breathtaking. Right, and yet at the same time, all over the world, people love their smartphones. Yep. They have built their lives around social networks, and they're, you know, driving the cars. I mean, it's... And I went outside the other night and watched Skynet go over. That, oh, yeah. You know, it looks like a string of pearls of stars crossing the sky, and I'm standing there with a guy who developed some of the specialty chips for those satellites out there in the street. And it was like the 23rd century. It was like Buck Rogers. I mean, I've seen what we'd all been predicting, you know, and here it was, these line of stars crossing the sky in formation. And that's what's tracking you on sidewalk. Right? <laughs> that's what's tracking me on sidewalk. Uh, to bring it full circle. Anyway, speaking of privacy, hacking. You know, we talk about local hacking, your own house, house being hacked. We're also seeing really systematic mass attacks on uh, the world's largest meat packer. We had that oil pipeline the mid in the, the Midwest mm -hmm. go down. Uh, what's going on? I think this is the biggest story of the year, not just the week, but we have seen the systematic targeting of infrastructure for hacks. And that's something we always feared. Right. Um, and we read books for years and years. I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Nicole Perlroth of the New York Times. Uh, this is how they tell me the world ends is that I think the title of her book and it starts very chillingly where she's in in Russia talking about the hack on Ukraine um, and it was done very systematically on infrastructure and now within just a couple of years of that book she's right and our infrastructure is under attack and this is what we always worried about our power plants our meat packers I mean yes. the price of meats going up specifically because of that People in the mid in the Midwest and the East didn't have you know heat gas for a long time. Um, this is how the war happens, right? How did we take down um, uh, when we attacked Iraq? When we went after Baghdad, what did we do first? We took down the infrastructure. This That's is right. the prelude to something. And I actually felt relieved when the hackers went after the oil pipeline because all they wanted was money. Right. Oh, okay. Well, it's just blackmail. They're just they're just stick up artists. That's okay. When well, you take down the meat packing industry, and there's no obvious reason why you did that except to just stall a corner of the economy. Maybe there maybe it's animal liberation front or something. Who knows? Maybe, sure. But it could also be a foreign power saying, "How do we how do we paralyze this country in preparation for something?" Right. And you use the word paralyze, and that's the thing. We don't know why, and we don't know who, and you have all these theories. But the fact is, it can be done. Yes. And that should strike fear into the hearts of everybody because we don't know what's next. And we don't know who will be affected and we don't know how broad it will be. Every hack, whether it's you know a denial of service attack on a company or a hack on our credit cards, 
every hack at the end of it, when we get out of it, people realize, wow, this could have been 10 times worse. Yes. But they were only going for whatever they were going for, or they were trying to send a message. Uh, but every hack could be worse. And so you wonder, you shut down the biggest example of an industry of food we eat or how we get our heat, and then you sort of extrapolate that to, ooh, what if that was 10 times worse? Yeah. And that's what's at stake here. Clearly, our infrastructure is vulnerable. We knew that. And I think when we hear, you know, the, the Biden administration talking about, hey, the need for cybersecurity, and we've heard it from the last few presidents, it's a big, big need uh, when it comes to our safety and our security. And it's not just our data, but it's literally the food we buy and how we heat our homes and gas up our cars. Yeah, and I'm not that worried about criminals. I'm worried about nations doing this. And we're, we're getting a lot of clues. This is coming. It's coming out of Russia. It's coming out of China. And where else? And who, who have our worst interests at heart? Right, and that's the way to, uh, to really stick it to people on a large scale without going in conventional war, you know, without... That. Right, you don't have to. You don't have to put troops on the ground. You right. can just freeze up a country. Okay, uh, meme stocks are back. Another week. <laughs> Another week of meme stocks. And I think this is why people aren't paying attention to the dangers of hacking. Yeah, because because they're, they're putting money or losing money in AMC, uh, Bed Beyond, Bed Bath and Beyond. I mean, it's a weird combination of companies. I know, I Blackberry, GameStop. And I admit this stuff is fun, but right, it, it's almost getting a little random now. Yeah. Uh, it's the Reddit guys again, and um, I, it is one way to bring forgotten companies back in the news. When was the last oh, time yeah. you thought about Blackberry? It's been a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and AMC is a perfect example. This is a company that, because of the pandemic, has all but wiped off the earth, yeah. and their stock has gone up something like. 1500%, uh, it doubled in the last week and then fell back and then came back again. And it's just these whipsaw motions that make them, uh, you know, catnip for for news people. But at the same time, uh, I, I can't imagine investing. How weird would it be to work for one of these companies? You right. know, they're sort of forgotten. You're in this, so you're, you're kind of like a snail darter in that little diminishing pond. You come to work every day. No one's, everyone goes, oh, is that stupid? That company still exists. And then all of a sudden, this is going on out there. You're just trying to get popcorn into the into the, into the AMC theater in Mountain View. And all of a sudden, your stock has gone up a thousand percent and you're rich. And it's well, be you know, crazy. you might be rich if you're if you're the popcorn guy. Here's the thing. You're probably not. Those Reddit traders are saying, hey, we're going to stick it to the man. Yeah. But wait a minute. Who has all the shares of AMC stock? The man. The man. So yeah. the corporate yeah. side is getting rich. The people who make the popcorn are just saying, whoa, ride whoa. this out and hopefully don't fire me yeah. when the stock price plummets again. Uh, so it's not really sticking it to the man. It's enriching the man. And like you say, making your company somewhat relevant in a crazy sort of way. But uh, nobody who wants job security enjoys 100% ups and downs oh, no, in no, a company's no. valuation. Yeah, no. Unless you got a little bit of stock, when you, if you, when do, you joined the company right. 28 years ago, when it was actually viable, and you're holding that stock, and now it's gone through the roof, liquidate right now. Right. Sell, 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 you sell. You held it through a year of closing down everything. You said, I'm going to hold, because this <laughs> yeah. could be the time. Because I'm a loyal Who employee. Who knew? Yeah, goodness. Okay, uh, Zoom. What can we learn from Zoom's earnings this week? This was interesting. You know, the earnings were predictably very strong. Right. 
The outlook, predictively, if you've been following Zoom, not as strong because people are starting to head back to the office. But um, I think what we learned was that Zoom is here to stay. Yes. Not quite with the numbers. I mean, we won't have to do, um, you know, weddings and funerals and Passover seders and all those things on right. Zoom, thank goodness. But as far as working and staying in touch with people, I think the revelation of this was, hey, Zoom makes this really easy and maybe easier than the previous iterations, a la WebEx and stuff like that. And that made it a company built for business, made it a consumer thing. And yeah, fortunately, kids will be going back to school and we'll be able to go back to our parents' house and hang out and yeah. family things. But I predict Zoom is still gonna be a part of business. Even, um, yeah, even when we don't have to have a Zoom call, I've, I still see people choosing the Zoom, choosing the Zoom over the telephone. Right, or maybe over a long travel trip that would be expensive and time-consuming. Yeah. Um, let's do it by Zoom. Well, you know, all power to them. They, they, they came through. Of all the companies in the last year that came through for us, they didn't have a collapse in service. They didn't have much degradation. They, they scaled up for us. They got better as the year went on. I can't complain about them. All power to them. They deserve all the money they get for this, and I hope they last for a long time. Okay, uh, double whammy for Tesla, uh, another round of recalls, and Chinese sales proving to be half of what was predicted last month. So their stock went down 5%, I mean 5% on Tesla stock, but nevertheless, demand down in China, interesting, because that was part of their bread and butter. Yeah, you know, China's an interesting market because Tesla rules the United States when it comes to electric cars, but China, rules the world. I mean, they're making a lot of EVs. They don't need Tesla. Um, and so I think Tesla thought, ah, maybe we'll just dominate here. But I, I still think they could have a, a strong future there. One interesting thing that's boosting Tesla stock as we speak is they're getting in the India market. Mm -hmm. And apparently they don't see nearly as much competition there as they do in China. So that's a place where, you know, you have some successful companies, you have money, and, and you, you got, have an you environment. Got, if you got sufficient infrastructure. Yeah, and, and definitely a need to clean up the, the environment. So, um, you know, as that company spreads, uh, who knows? I mean, the way they did it in America was, hey, we're first, but we're going to be really late with everything. Yeah. And somehow that was acceptable. I don't know that that'll be acceptable all over the world, but who knows? They got big margins. They can, they can cut prices. They got a lot of room to play. True. I mean, the, the Model 3 proved that, is that you can sell yeah. a car in the $30,000 range that is solid and clean and people are going to eat it up. I should have segued off of Zoom for this one, but nearly 40% of workers would consider quitting if their bosses made them return to the office full-time, a new survey says. I mean, I saw that, and I can only think that those are employees that have a lot of money in the bank, right? I mean, yeah. we don't work... And I think that's easy to say, too. Yeah, right. It's easy to say. I, I have, having never, ever in my life been in that position where I can say, oh, you don't let me work in a certain place, I'll just quit. Screw you. Yeah, yeah. I don't quite understand that. I'm done. <laughs> um, that's a high percentage, I think, of people who maybe now enjoy the freedom of working from home, and good for them. I'm sure they do. I think a lot of people will... I think we've assimilated, we've acculturated to it, too. Yeah, and I think a lot of people will stay that way, and a lot of uh, companies are progressively saying, hey, if you want to stay from home, we've met our numbers, you can stay home. But quit... Uh, Again, I'm just not that physician, so yeah, I don't know quite On the assumption understand. there's a million jobs waiting for you out there. Well, actually, there are probably are right now but for the next few months. Well, if you're, if you're willing to go into restaurant work or pour coffee. Yeah, yeah, I mean, a lot of the young people jobs. I, I did a story at Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk, 
and they have hundreds and hundreds of jobs because the young people haven't come back to work yet because uh, they're trying to figure out when they're going to go to high school or college or all this stuff. So it's going to take a while for that normalcy to, oh, it's summer. I go to the And the, the kids are going to hit the beach in the next... I'm watching graduations all over the valley. It's going to oh, hit yeah. the beach in another this couple weeks. This is going to be a huge summer for that. Yeah. And so um, you do need these restaurants and boardwalks and places like that to hire a lot of people. So they're boosting up wages, yep. offering financial incentives. And we know that's, okay, the inflation concern, but it means spending power in the hands of young people. That's really Which good for the environment. Which is where we want it. Exactly, exactly. Okay, and finally, this was disturbing. Uh, Google removes its head of diversity after it was discovered he posted some anti-Semitic, uh, it was a blog post in 2007. And Bob Grove wrote to me uh, and said, but note they didn't fire him. They transferred him. Is this, is this because he's in a protected minority as well, or is it because we're getting tired of cancel culture, or what? He got moved over to the STEM operation. And uh, normally when you saw, you saw that kind of thing emerging, the person gets fired. They, you know, they disappear. They become non-persons for a while and reemerge later on somewhere else. Or is it because anti-Semitism is becoming more acceptable in American life. I don't know. I mean, I, I saw this story and it's um, Google, which has shown that it doesn't mind getting rid of people of any background. Yeah, rigid. Uh, very controversially, uh, I may add. Um, and so I, I don't quite know. This, this may play out over some time. Um, companies that don't act quickly one way or another tend to be prolonging the story much to their own chagrin um, and I, I you know Google has had HR problems for a while now they yeah but some, normally some... the employees situation like this the employees rise up and demand something be done right. and I didn't see that either at Google no because you know you're dealing with a, a largely um, you know liberal progressive workforce so I, I don't know where this goes but um, you know politics and social media are total bedfellows now and God companies knows. have to deal with this both externally and internally and and i i don't have a a, a pithy solution to this it's going to be uh, i think painful uh for all sides as these things drag out and awkward for all sides as these things drag out yes okay that's it for now folks you can find us on the silicon valley business journal homepage as well as on spotify anchor Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.